Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. Hey, uh, it was about two weeks ago, I took my Common Grace kid, Jackson, and his good buddy, Oscar, to the Pro Bowl. And Jackson and Oscar have been coming over to our house for years now as we've watched so much football together. We go to baseball games at the UH Stadium. In fact, season started last night, inauspicious beginning, but it'll be a baseball season coming. But I've about had it with live sporting events. Let me tell you why. Every time I go to one of these live sporting events, they're asking me for money. And not, not only that, but the seats are hard and uncomfortable. I don't always agree with the calls that the referees or the umpires make. There, there are times when it actually goes into extra innings or overtime, and I get out of there late. So it's just frustrating. And not only that, I'm convinced that some of the people sitting around me in these sporting events are hypocrites, that they don't really love the game. They're just there to see what everybody else is wearing, you know, the newest jerseys or whatever. Isn't that right, Miss? They got these other than Green Bay jerseys on. But not only that, but I don't sometimes care for the songs that the band plays. I don't even know some of those songs. Maybe part of the problem was my parents took me to too many sporting events when I was a kid, and I just had to go. For kids now, I think in the future, I'm not going to take kids to the, these ball games because I'm just going to let them grow up and choose what teams they like, okay, without going to the games. And one last thing. I think I can feel as close to my team out in nature as I can going to the stadium. Now, some of you recognize those as excuses that people give for not going to church. But wait a minute. We're not as the church just to be fans or spectators. We're the players. We're the players. That's who the church is. We're, we're the ones that actually pull off this game and, and uh, are inspired by our coach and directed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what if we said we're not going to go to practices anymore? We're not going to study the playbook. No, the church isn't a political party. It's not a country club. It's, it's actually a company of broken, beautiful people who have found that God forgives. He unifies us. And he empowers us to do something pretty amazing. This week we come in our Believe journey to biblical community. That's what we'll be meeting uh, with our Ohana groups and talking about. That's what we'll be reading about daily. And uh, I want us to consider it this morning. In fact, let's say this together. I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in my life, in the life of others, and in the world. That's biblical community. Let me ask you, are you experiencing it? Do you think that you're really in community with other believers? Or are you attending church? There's a big difference there. When the church was set forth in Scripture and Jesus called into being his church, that's what he had in mind. But what we need to understand is why community is so important. And I think we get some real clues from the first church. 
I'm not talking about first church on the corner. I'm talking about first church in history, and that was born on the day of Pentecost. Because Jesus, after he was crucified and resurrected, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he told that gathering to wait. He was leaving, wait for the promise of the Father of the Holy Spirit. So there they were in the upper room, waiting, praying, when all of a sudden there was a noise like a violent rushing wind, tongues of fire resting on their heads, and they began speaking in languages they'd never learned. They poured out into the streets, and people from all over the Mediterranean world who'd come for the Feast of Pentecost heard them praising God in their own dialects, their own languages. And then Peter gets up and says, please silence your cell phones. And then he launched into this message proclaiming Jesus. And he told them about how this Jesus whom they knew all about, well, they knew quite a bit about him. He'd been among them. He had worked miracles to testify as to who he was. He had been the Son of God, but they had delivered him up to be crucified. But God had raised him from the dead, showing that he was indeed the Son of God. In verse 37 of chapter 2 in Acts, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They're broken. Peter said to them, Repent. Change your hearts about Jesus. Change your minds. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. One moment they're standing there condemned, knowing that they deserve it. And the next moment they hear that they're offered forgiveness and the, the presence of God in their own lives as a gift. What a turnaround. Then it says, as Peter continued, he said, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, it was a long sermon, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's a big movement. And those 3,000 people, what was their goal that day? Let's form a church. No, it wasn't that at all. Their goal wasn't to form a biblical community. You know what their goal was? To be saved. To, to receive the forgiveness that Peter had offered to them through Jesus Christ. That's what their goal was. But when they received Christ, they were automatically formed into a community of believers with those who had also put their faith in Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Isn't that powerful? Those people that day, they had all kinds of thoughts about God. But they realized what was so much more important was that God thought of them. And that he loved them and had shown that through Jesus. 
And when we come to faith in Christ, that's what becomes important to us. Not our notions about God, but his thoughts about us. And when you come to realize he loves you, he loves you that much and offers you all that, that changes your life forever. And you find yourself in the company of other people who have accepted that same love and gift. The community of Christ is very diverse. We come from different places geographically. I mean, spiritually and ethnically, socioeconomically, all kinds of different opinions from our backgrounds and our upbringing and even our church background. We can have and do have opinions on all kinds of matters, whether it's politics or gun control or drinking beer or whatever. And you know what? That's okay. So long as Jesus is Lord and the reason we've come to faith and find ourselves in community with one another. That makes all the difference and forms us into the community of Christ, a biblical community. So biblical community is formed when we come to faith in Christ, but biblical community deepens as grateful believers gather to grow in their faith. Verse 42, so what did they do? Well, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. That was their practices just as they moved forward. I don't often pull out a, a word from the original language, but the word devoted here is fascinating. From the Greek language, it says they devoted themselves to these things. It's a word proskartereo. Proskartereo. And it means single-minded faithfulness to a certain course of action. And that's what these people had. They just knew that they had to gather together to consider the apostles' teaching. That was this message that the prophets had been speaking of for centuries in their Jewish faith that would speak of a Messiah who would come and, and then to hear the apostles tell them as eyewitnesses that they had seen his miracles, that, that they had ultimately seen his rejection, his crucifixion, but they also saw that he'd risen from the dead. This was the apostles' teaching. And then fellowship, that koinonia, that common sharing that they had together. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. This was a real unique time in the life of the church, of course, at its inception. And the breaking of bread, what was that? Well, some scholars think that was just sharing their meals together. They broke bread together. But most scholars say, oh, no, it was infused with much more than that. I mean, Jesus had said, whenever you take bread and wine which were common staples of the day, remember me. And so their every meal was a celebration of this new life that they had in Christ and of their community. Breaking of bread and to the prayers. It literally says to the prayers. What, what prayers? Well, these were Jewish people in the beginning. They had Jewish prayers and times of prayer throughout the day. They certainly would have continued that. But they also, I'm sure, prayed the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And, and then we know, as we read in the book of Acts, that they began to pray spontaneously. They prayed like Jesus said to their Father 
and would share their hearts with him in the context of individual and corporate prayer. As they practiced these things, their faith grew deeper. Their community grew deeper. Now, if they would have just said, well, let's just gather every Sunday, and Peter, you can preach the sermon, and maybe John, you can have the pastoral prayer, and, 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 and the disciples, the apostles would have done those things for them. How deep would their community have been? No, it would have been really surface. No, they did these things. They prayed these prayers together. They fellowshiped. They considered together and talked about the apostles' teachings. And as they did that, their community of faith deepened more and more. There's an old Zambian proverb. It says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. Well, the Christian life is a marathon. And it isn't about how fast we run it, but it's about how far we run. And if we're going to run far, we need to run together. That's what these early believers understood. It's in the church that we learn sometimes what we missed in our family of origin. Because there's, I don't know if you know this, probably do, that there's dysfunction in our families, okay? There's problems out there. And I think it's gotten worse. I think uh, in America, the family is really broken down. And uh, there's a lot of things that have just been not what they should have been. And uh, it's in the family of God that we learn to love one another. We learn to forgive one another. If you haven't been here for very long in the church, it's going to come as a shock to you know that you're not always going to agree with everybody. And somebody may eventually cross you. So what do you do? Go to another church. No. We learn to grow. We learn to forgive one another and grow through that and become the family of God. And so it's here that we're in community pulled out of isolation. We'll tend to isolate ourselves left to our own devices, but God calls us, no, no, you come together and exercise your spiritual muscles as you learn to grow in love. And that's what makes community. We tend to romanticize nature. That's why some people go out, I've seen them, in Custer State Park in South Dakota, go out and stand in front of a buffalo and snap his picture. That's a wild animal. But we've seen too many Disney movies and tend to romanticize nature. It's actually pretty brutal out there in nature. Back in 2006, Robert, remember when we went to Africa? Some of us went on a mission trip to Africa. And uh, the last day before we left Kenya, we went down to the Maasai Mara Game Reserve, which is huge, plain, and comes up from Tanzania. And we were there for the wildebeest migration. Amazing. I mean, you've seen those pictures of the buffalo. Well, this was like that. Hundreds of thousands of wildebeest, but all the other animals were there too. In the rivers, there's crocodiles. Around those herds, there's jackals and hyenas and zebras, water buffaloes, and there's lions. And those lions sometimes get hungry, and it's pretty easy picking out there. But, but which ones do they go after, those wildebeest? They won't go after the water buffaloes, by the way. Because those water buffaloes just back up to each other with their horns out, and there's no way those lions are going to 
take them on. That's a good picture of community in itself. But the lions go after the wildebeest. They go after the young ones that are straggling behind or the sick or weak ones that can't quite keep up or they go off after those who strayed from the herd. Well, the Apostle Peter says that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who does he go after? Well, anybody he can. But we're easy prey if we've strayed from God's people. We're off alone. We're feeling maybe down emotionally or we feel like we're unworthy to be part of the church or one thing or another. Well, Satan can easily attack us there. Each of us is weak sometimes in our faith or sick in our understanding and theology. That's why we need the body of Christ, the community uh, to get us back on trap, track and to build us up. Our young need to be encompassed in the body of Christ because uh, they too are vulnerable. And as they grow in our public school systems, into the universities, there will be attacks, big attacks. And they need to be raised in the discipline and instruction of the body of Christ, this biblical community, because they too are vulnerable. The Word of God says that as we function in biblical community, that's where we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we build one another up, we stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When a brother or sister is hurting, we're there. We care. When, when a person is doubting, we don't shun them. We embrace them and listen to their doubts. When a person's grieving or, or just hurting and crying, we're there to cry with them. That's what the body of Christ is about so that together we grow deep and strong. California Mental Health Department is not a Christian organization, but they've come out with a study recently and talked about when we isolate ourselves, the detrimental effects of that, and said if you're not intimately associated with several people, these things are true statistically. You'll be three times more likely to die an early death four times more likely to have emotional burnout, five times more likely to be clinically de depressed, ten times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder. Biblical community is God's answer to loneliness, to discouragement, frustration, feelings of worthlessness, depression, and hopelessness. And even when we don't want to be connected with one another, that's especially when we need to be. Some people think, well, I'm self-sufficient. I really don't need other people. Truthfully, we do. But not only that, other people need us. When we withdraw from fellowship, we're depriving others of what God put in us to share with them. Just whether it's verbally or emotionally or just caring about them. Sometimes the last thing they need, they need is words. It's just tangible expressions of our love for them when they're in some kind of need. And so, you know what? This is about loving God, gathering for worship, but it's also really about connecting with one another in Ohana groups. Because I'm telling you folks, 
your greatest hope for biblical community comes in Ohana groups. It really does. We talk about them a lot, but that's really true. That's where we practice and experience the one and others. Those and then serving together in community in ministry teams. And as we do that, we grow deeper in biblical community. Finally, biblical community expands as believers day by day share life together. So the church, that early church, gathered to grow, and then it says this in verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now let me pause and just mention a couple of things that I think were unique to this early church and are also and have been repeated at certain times and in certain places that just aren't typical or normal. One of them was the outpouring of miracles. You read the book of Acts? They just were commonplace as this early church was being formed. I mean, an apostle could walk down the street and Peter's shadow would fall on him; they'd get healed. Has anybody seen that lately? I mean, these miracles were unprecedented uh, at that period of time in the church. I believe that at times and in certain locales, that still happens even today. When there's a frontier of mission, whether it's in China or Africa or America, when God's doing a new thing, there's just an increase in miracles. Now, God still works miracles, and we pray for miracles, but we don't see it as the norm like was happening here and sometimes does happen. The other thing that is unique in this passage is how they sold everything put it into a common pool at the apostles' feet, even their land and property, and then they distributed it to anyone who's had need. Remember, these people had come from various parts of the Mediterranean world. They were far from home and family. They were learning this new faith. Uh, others would soon be cut off from their Jewish families when their family realized that they were going after this new sect and embracing Jesus as Messiah. They were in desperate straits. And so they found themselves in a situation where they needed to share everything they had so that some could survive. There's places today where that's happening, where it needs to happen because people, those believers, are desperate and in need of whatever the others have. That's not communism, by the way. Communism is where the government takes it and says, you don't own any of this. We own it, and we'll distribute it as we think you have need. But they are usually the ones that have the greatest needs, the ones at the top. It's been tried. Christian communism. Uh, there have been communes set up in various places. Even the pilgrims that landed in Plymouth Colony tried that for a time. They just said everything belonged to the community, and uh, you go to work, and then bring in your produce, and then we'll share together. But some of them figured that out real quickly. They didn't have to work. And so they just kind of lazed about expecting to be fed. And the governor said, forget this. Everybody's going to work their own little kuleana, and uh, you have some private property here. Now, it doesn't work because of human nature. And that human nature, that old sinful nature, can still affect us in the church because here's the deal. 
even though we're not in a situation where we're called to sell our property and give everything to the church, we're not exempted from caring and sharing. We're not. We know about people in the world now that are in desperate need, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why when we come to these Thanksgiving offerings and Christmas offerings and our missions giving, wow, we do share generously and sacrificially, and we should. We are so affluent. But even more than that, when we step in a relationship with one another in this church and in our Ohana groups, and we come to know the deep needs that others have when they surface, we need to be there. As I say, whether it's just spending time with someone, uh, someone that is grieving the loss of a loved one, or someone who is in financial difficulty, sharing our finances with them, caring and sharing in different ways as we see the needs. That's the body of Christ. That's the implication and application, I believe, for us in this church. It says in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, they would meet in a portion of the temple called Solomon's Colonnade, Solomon's Court, and they'd worship together. And then it says, and breaking bread from house to house. They all couldn't fit in the house. They'd go various houses. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, here's the key, look at this. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church didn't have a strategy for church growth. They didn't have some plan as to how can we add more people. No, you know what? They were just loving Jesus and loving one another. And as they lived that out, day by day and house to house, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And that happens today to the degree that we'll do the same. Not only coming to worship, not only being involved in an Ohana group, but going beyond that, living life together, having fun together, doing things together, sharing our lives and our love together. Because you know what happened in that early church? When the unbelievers saw the way they cared about each other, they said, behold, how these Christians love one another. That's what they need to see. And, and sometimes with unbelievers right alongside of us, they need to see that. And, and we need to leave margins in our lives, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, uh, for building relationships with unbelievers as well. But they need to see in the church when we're gathered and when we're scattered in this community day by day how we love one another. That's attractive to unbelievers. That's something you're not going to find in the world. I don't want Kaimuki Christian Church to be known for its buildings or for its size in this community. I don't want it certainly to be known for its sermons or even for its music, but for its love. And for people to know, if you go there, those people are going to love you. And by the way, that's been a hallmark of this church through the decades. But let's never take that for granted. Let's intensify our love for one another. And not just for those that we know, but for those that God sends to this church or, or as we go about being the church in the community for that love to extend out. 
I want people to know this is a place where you're going to be loved. This is a place of grace. I hear those rumors continually about expressions of that, and it just fills my heart with joy. Whenever I hear of Ohana groups caring for a member or people reaching out to serve and care and love, that's biblical community. I heard about a TED Talk recently, and I went online and viewed it. It's by Simon Sinek, I think you pronounce his name. And he talks about successful leaders or successful organizations and how they operate, maybe not even realizing it, uh, but it's the opposite of how those that are not successful operate. And he talks about a thing he calls the golden circle. I drew a picture of it here. And the golden circle has three concentric circles. And uh, what, how, and why? He said in every organization, you have uh, people that know, like a business, what's happening. Okay, this is what that company does. Or some, and they all know that. Some people know how it's done, and a very few people know why they're doing it. Okay, the real core belief. For instance, Apple. I mean, he said, when they distribute their products, they're not focused on the what. Yeah, people know that they make computers. And some people know a little bit more about how they do it, but they've allowed the public to know why they do it. They say, we don't believe in the status quo. We want to innovate. We want to make things easy for you to do. And people know that. And so they say, and by the way, would you like to buy a computer? And people are interested in that. Another example he gives is Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, who, who just sparked a, uh, just a renaissance of racial justice in this country by his I Have a Dream speech and his rallies. People saw what he was doing. They knew that he was, he was making speeches. He'd called for a bus boycott in Birmingham, Alabama, and they knew that was the what. Some of them knew a little bit more about how he was doing it, but what he was able to communicate was why he was doing it. Because he had a dream of fairness and justice and racial acceptance. And people got it. And that's why people were willing to come out on that August day and stand there in the sun all day long listening to those speeches because they understood the why of what he was saying. I thought, that's a great parallel to the church in, in two ways. If you, as a follower of Christ, have focused on the what, you may not be real excited about what you're doing. For instance, okay, what, what's the what? Well, the what is going to church. It's maybe going, the pastor said I should go to an Ohana group. Okay, I probably should do that. Maybe come to an up, bat, up to bat. Maybe serve on one of those ministry teams. Go out with love your neighbor. Okay, these are the what. I've got a lot of things to do. Not really exciting, frankly. The how. You could focus on that, and this is how we do those things. You're not going to be excited or motivated until you get to the why and embrace it. And that is, I do it because I love Jesus. Because because he's extended me forgiveness and grace, and, and I owe him everything, and I love him. And when you're in love, 
wow, you'll do anything for someone. This is Valentine's Day. And uh, uh, somebody that's in love will gladly do what they'd never do otherwise. And so it's love for Jesus because of what he's done for us that motivates us to do the what, okay? And so it is with people around us who observe us who don't know Christ. You think they're going to be motivated by the what of what we're doing? If they're our neighbors or family members, they know the what. They know that we go to church. Oh, yeah, they know we go to these meetings. They know we do these other things. Are they excited about that? Not really. They're busy. They've got other things to do. They aren't going to be motivated by the what, but when they understand the why and they see in our lives that we love Jesus because he's forgiven us and given, he's changed our lives. He's transforming us. We're becoming new people. When they see the why of that, that's attractive. And that draws people to Jesus. And they see it graphically when we are living in biblical community. So let me close with this. In Acts chapter 2, there's a progression. First of all, these people realized they were in trouble. They had rejected Christ. And then they hear the good news and they believe. They receive Jesus. They're baptized. They start worshiping in the temple courts. They start meeting in houses and sharing their meals together and just day by day hanging out together. So let me ask you. I asked you earlier if you're in biblical community. I want to ask you now, what's the next step for you to deepen the community that you find yourself in. Some of you may not be there yet. There may be someone here that hasn't yet believed in Jesus and received Christ. Well, that would be the first step to realize, wow, there's a gift offered to me, salvation and forgiveness. I want Jesus. Today, you should open your heart to Christ and invite him into your life. Some of you may say, well, I've done that, but I just haven't been baptized yet. Why not? I mean, that's a declaration publicly that I am his and he is mine. Make that decision today. Some of you say, well, I just haven't been regular in church. I go when it's convenient. No, wait a minute. This is the community of faith. Make that commitment. Make that a big rock in your schedule. And an Ohana group, that's it. That's the community where you develop one another and build one another up and are built up yourself. Make a commitment today if that's the next step you need to take. Whatever it is, if each of us will take one step further into community, it'll be amazing what'll happen in each of our lives and in this community around us. Let's come back to that original statement and, and maybe um, as we pray this week and as we read in the Believe material and meet together, this will become more true, but I'd like to ask us just to declare this by faith at this time, okay? I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in my life, in the life of others, and in the world. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for the community of your people. We're not even worthy to be in it, but it's by the grace of God and by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus that we are invited in, every one of us, as full-fledged members of this community. We 
want to experience all that you have for us in this community. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we'll make the decisions and take the steps that will enable us to deepen in our community and see you add to our numbers day by day those who are being saved. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.